Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, we are talking all things crypto with Arthur Teller and Zach McClure from Token Tax, the leading cryptocurrency tax platform and crypto tax accounting company. Together, the three of us discuss a broad range of crypto topics, including how this movement is providing the younger generation a way to gain wealth and the global implications of this, as well as the trends in cryptocurrency. These guys are doing some really interesting work in the tax space with crypto, and I'm excited for you to hear about it. So let's get into it. Zach, Arthur from Token Tax, welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. How are we? Doing well. Good, good. Yeah, thank you for having us. Oh, thank you for for coming along on this this fine Tuesday afternoon. Let's get straight into it. Bitcoin or Ethereum? Bitcoin personally, but we love them both. Interesting. I I would have expected you to say Ethereum, Zach, given the culture at Token Tax. A lot of the team at Token Tax are very big Ethereum and DeFi maximized. I personally think that for someone newer to crypto, Bitcoin as, as digital gold is, you know, the clearest investment hypothesis that just makes a ton of sense. But yeah, I mean, I think both are great, especially compared to other coins. As an investment or as a currency? There we go. Now, that is the hour up. We're just doing that bit, right? <laughs> yeah, personally, as an investment, I just think that, you know, you can argue whether gold should be owned or not. You know, it doesn't have a yield, but, you know, indisputably gold is worth 10, 13 trillion, whatever it is now. So if you think that people think gold is worth 13 trillion, it's very easy for me to see why gold should be replaced by Bitcoin. So Bitcoin replacing digital gold and the flipping, that's what kind of first drew me in to crypto as an idea when I was learning about Bitcoin as like an investment hypothesis that made sense. And then, you know, all the other coins are sort of, you have to make your own hypotheses, but that's personally why I'm a little bit of a Bitcoin maximizer, or maybe I'm just you know, still on the fumes of the Miami Bitcoin conference in June. That was pretty memorable. I bet it was. Is it the, the conference or afterwards? Yeah, the entire weekend. But yeah, and speaking of people crying, you know, there were a lot of people crying on stage for how much they love Bitcoin and its disruption on the world. But yeah, so drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah, Zach. Well, well there's, there's so much to unpack there. Arthur, tell me a little bit about your story and how you came to, to crypto. Sure. Zach and I actually go way back. We met in college. I guess it would have been 2005, 2006, something like that. This was USC, yes, the the, the, beautiful, yep. the beautiful rolling hills of Beverly Hills. <laughs> uh, University of Southern California, yeah. I, w- I wish it were in Beverly Hills, but I don't know. If you've been to that campus recently, Zach, it looks a lot different than it did when we were in school there. But we met it. We met in school, and um, then went sort of our separate ways. I went to public accounting. I worked at KPMG for 13 years. So I I moved to Chicago, worked at KPMG doing tax for a few years, and then moved into a software development group there, where we were, you know, basically building enterprise scale partnership tax applications for use in the firm and for um, use by our clients. And so spent a long time working in sort of the hybrid world of tax and software. And then at some point during the pandemic, Zach and I got back in touch and the combination of tax and software is exactly what you know token tax was up to. I, I um, well, it's just a pandemic baby then. 
Uh, well, I think token tax predates the pandemic, <laughs> but my my uh, my tenure, I you know, my tenure at token tax was a I would you could call that itself a pandemic baby. Oh, that's cool. um, how romantic yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but token tax has been around for about five years. So Arthur came on as COO. It took a while for us to grow into the scale of a company that that needed a CEO of Arthur's caliber and experience, but uh, and, and his salary, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, someone with uh, you know ten or fifteen years in public accounting, but they add a lot of value. But yeah, we we go way back to back when you know Arthur was star accounting student. I figured you know someday who knows what's going to happen, but it'd be great to work up work together eventually. But my path was a little more eclectic even though I did have the degree in accounting as well and finance. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, Zach. You, you have traveled the world quite extensively. You have a, an MBA from a prestigious school, something that is, you know, uh, held in high regard in, in Western society. So congratulations on all your success so far. Tell me about uh, Zimbabwe and India, though. Yeah, I, I ended up in Zimbabwe and in India working over there that was actually through connections I had made from my first job out of school where I was an investment banking analyst at JP Morgan. So basically, I was working on some healthcare companies, some sporting good companies as the analyst when they got sold. One of them was SRAM Bicycle Components. They make rock shocks and zip tires and you know a bunch of racing components and then specialized bicycle. So those companies got sold to like Callaway Golf Clubs or private equity sponsors. I got to know the founders pretty well. And they basically said, hey, Zach, we love what you did for us on this project. You know, it was the middle of the uh, Great Recession. So a lot of the team had been laid off. So I was basically the only analyst on this deal. So I got to know CEO, COO, CFO pretty well. And they're like, hey, if you ever leave JP Morgan, we'd love to have you come work for our nonprofit over in Africa. I was at JP Morgan for a couple of years. And while I was there, I was teaching personal finance to inner city high school kids. This is a program to teach about compounding interest and, hey, you can buy stocks and, hey, you can have a bank account and here's how credit cards work. And I basically, you know, that was my, one of my favorite one or two hours of the week, even though I, I really enjoyed my job. But yeah, I decided, hey, I'm going to take a break from the corporate world and, and go do Teach for America and teach math, make it about personal finance, make it about entrepreneurship, about money, stock market game. So I left JP Morgan and started teaching math in New York City and I contacted the CEOs of, of SRAM and Specialized and said, hey, if you guys were serious, I'm free to come work for your nonprofit over in Africa and India. And so that's how I ended up, you know, I ended up working with them for several years, eventually kind of working as a CFO role. But I went over there to help train their whole team in accounting, Excel, and basically help them build a business model. So they had a nonprofit that donated bicycles to women that were far from potable water, you know, spending all day carrying water or or children that were far from school, like literally walking 20 miles each way every day to school. So basically keeping them in school. So we took the bikes that they were donating and we created a business model where we sold those same bicycles to security guard companies that had thousands of employees or big companies, basically to make a profit and use that to fund the nonprofit. So it wasn't just dependent on rich Americans, rich people in the UK donating money, basically a real social enterprise. And you know, that's how I discovered Bitcoin because over in Zimbabwe, they don't even have their own currency. They just use tattered old US dollar bills, actually, even from the 90s. So like if it has a tear in it, they won't use it. So people were using M-Pesa and phone credits and digital currency before I ever knew about it in the US. And I was like, wow, this makes so much sense over here. You know, in a place where you're 
family fortunes can be inflated away by politicians. It's just so great to have a store of value like Bitcoin. And then one thing led to another. I was working in impact investment VC fund doing venture capital research. And um, the fund I was at invested in Ripple in 2013. And from there, I was like, I just want to find a way to work in crypto as a non-software engineer, non, you know, knew how to program a little bit, but not not like with a background in that. And all of a sudden, crypto taxes became a really big deal in 2017. And there was a massive need in the market because the prices just shot up. And that's when token tax was born. A lot of our wealthiest, you know, wealthy friends were like, Zach, I know you're a wizard with taxes and finance. Can you help me harvest losses or sell property or sell stocks or whatever to shield me from my crypto gains or figure this out? And it was kind of helping really rich people save a little bit of their money again, which is sort of why, you know, why I didn't go into tax in the first place, even though I love tax and the puzzles and the problems you're solving. And so I was doing that, ended up meeting Alex, my co-founder, who was building the first beta of token tax. It was just Coinbase Exchange and just FIFO account. I was like, we could do this way bigger. Let's teach people how to track their tax lots. Let's teach people about tax loss harvesting. Let's infuse it with personal finance. Let's democratize access to you know, this skill that I can only work with a few people. But if we build a software platform, we can help any investor in crypto and teach them all these things. So that's how we launched it in 2017 as part of the Product Hunt Global Hackathon. We won first place in that actually, won some prize money and just used that to bootstrap the company until, like I said, we could afford to bring in someone of Arthur's caliber and talents and uh, interest him. And so we've just been growing since then. There's two aspects of the business, right? There's the software aspect and you also run a, an accounting services company, organization to to facilitate a crypto taxes. What have you seen as the change over the last, you know, since the life, since the start of the company, the last sort of four years in the crypto uh, arena? And where are we heading in the next sort of four or five years in, in that same area? You know, four or five years in crypto feels like literally four or five, I don't know, decades, I imagine, in, in prior life. Yeah, working at Bain, working in investment banking, even pretty high or like fast paced career areas. But yeah, so many changes from like, literally when we started, the IRS had said, you know, the only one paragraph of guidance, all, ta- all, all sales or disposals are taxable events, whether you buy coffee, whatever. And so now they've like slowly rolled out guidance, but sort of at random times, air, intermittently. And I mean, the crypto ecosystem, it's just so fascinating. We were building Ethereum and DeFi tooling years before DeFi was even a thing. And that's why we as a company were kind of ready when DeFi summer took off last year because we knew some of the Maker Foundation. We just thought it was a very cool application. You know, for example, smart contracts disrupting insurance companies. So instead of a claims adjuster going and being like, how much rain was there? What happened to your home? You know, you could do that all through smart contracts. And so I think the idea of what we are at Token Tax, we're like problem solvers that are trying to automate and disrupt industries and solve problems that can be solved and automated by software. So whatever the accounting side and the services side does, my goal is always like, hey, instead of spending next year doing exactly the same thing, let's automate this with software and then unleash our team to go solve other problems. So we only really have people who are really good at solving problems, you know, finding new areas where no one's ever been able to solve it before. Because once we do something a few times, we just have the engineers codify it, you know, oh, this is how we get Binance data. Oh, this is how we get Uniswap. Oh, this is what we do for margin. And then on to the next. So I'd say that's a lot of the evolution of the company. And then we, you know, we started out just working with individuals, 
figuring out really difficult crypto tax situations. And then so many of our clients were like, hey, I'm just a student and I have a W-2 or no other income, but really complicated crypto. You helped me solve that. But now my CPA wants you know, $2,000 to understand what you did and then solve it. So you know, we just organically started offering that service. We acquired an accounting firm back in 2018, bolted on CPA filing. And then from there, a lot of our early customers ended up starting companies in the space, starting protocols, starting hedge funds, starting DAOs. And so we've just organically started working with businesses, with projects as well over the years. And just kind of, you know, we're bootstrapped. We just organically bolt on services that our clients want and are trying to find someone to solve. I'm sure you've had plenty of offers of of funding over the, the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, we work with a lot of venture capital firms and funds and they're, you know, so th- they'll be first on our list. But yeah, I mean, I'm pretty old school when it comes to that. I feel like a lot of tech companies are like, hey, how do we, you know, let's just grow as fast as we can and we get our seed and get to the next round. And, you know, they're very dependent on VCs. And don't get me wrong. I mean, if VCs can add value and they could be strategic investors as well. But I'm very old school about like, why don't we just build a cash flow positive business, knock it out over our skis and be sustainable and just grow sustainably. And that way, you know, we're going to be around for a long time. And our clients really look to that. You know, so many venture funded companies, the goal is like, hey, we're, you know, 20 companies in this space are funded. Only one or two will survive. They'll have monopoly pricing. But no, we want to we want to be here for the long haul. You're in so early that that first mover advantage is still considerably an advantage. Your expertise and skills in the area are going to shine through for a long time to come. You mentioned the IRS and and their capacity to keep up with you know the well or not the regulatory uh, aspects of crypto. Where, where is it today in your view? And have they shown lately? Have they shown some competence in the area? <laughs> It's a Herculean task. Like we've spent the last five years just trying to digest this. And the IRS is, you know, they're really constrained by the fact that it's really hard to find people that understand crypto for taxation. They're really doing their best and they're, they're showing a massive surge in like caring about it. That's obvious. You know, they've added a question to the first page of the tax return, the 1040 that says, did you transact in crypto? So undoubtedly they're making gigantic rolls of people they know to take a closer look on and check, Hey, did they send a schedule D? Did they send crypto gain loss transactions? And so that's what we've seen are just thousands, tens of thousands of automated letters going out. Like, for example, Coinbase issued all these 1099s. And what they did is they just looked at someone's transaction volume. So you could put $1,000 in, buy and sell over and over again, just day trade, buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, transfer between your Coinbase Pro and your Coinbase account back and forth just to mess around. And then the IRS sends a 1099 form with just one box filled in that said $2 million for this taxpayer. And it's like, and they, they come to us and it's like, all right, you took that money, you took a thousand, you turned it into 3000, you paid a lot in fees. So you owe, you know, 500 in taxes. And we filed for them. And then the IRS comes two years later with a letter that says, hey, we think you owe 850,000, either send the money in 30 days or explain why not. So we spent so much of our time, you know, trying to explain that stuff. And our goal is just like, we want to build, a really smooth operation that just lets takes the the scariness out of filing crypto taxes. So many people are afraid of like trying DeFi protocols or trying a new place or trying something interesting for the technology because they're so afraid of the IRS compliance, including NFTs. You know, someone who had five CryptoPunks, which are like the flavor of the week NFTs, might be worth millions of dollars now. He's like couldn't afford to hire us to figure out his taxes a year ago because. 
but you know, he works for a big accounting oversight board. He's like, ah, I'm very nervous about this. I got to get it right. I don't know if I should sell everything. So we just want to try to make tools that make it possible. But yeah, the IRS is definitely ratcheting up enforcement. I mean, who knows how fast the government will move on these things and, and what really happened. I was reading today, you know, their budget's already 79 billion. So the IRS is quite large and has the ability to do whatever they, you know, they imagine. But so we'll see. Well, it might be a bit bigger soon if they retroactively uh, initiate these QSBS changes. It's like, oh, I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I'd had two dollars, and now I've got less than that. <laughs> oh, are you guys a QSBS C corp? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I won't buy that. Well, I won't buy that boat just yet. But Arthur, what, what, what's been your experience coming into this as a tax background and and you know corporate soldier, if I may? KPMG, and and then you know this this uh, whirlwind of crypto and and somebody like Zach and his energy, and no doubt that that's distributed and dispersed throughout the company. What how's your life been the last since April when you came on board? <laughs> yeah, I mean you can see listening to Zach, you can understand the appeal of getting on board. It's pretty compelling, pretty compelling market, pretty compelling story. And you know I think Zach alluded to this earlier, but I, you know just remembering back in the college days and, and actually keeping, you know, in touch with Zach over the years. And I've told him this, I was always of the mind that like, you know, if this guy ever really gets something off the ground, I definitely want to be a part of it. And so I'm, I'm pretty lucky and, and excited to have the opportunity to do that. To the second part of your question, you know, I didn't know a ton about crypto before joining the company. And of course, now I would consider myself steeped in it just because um, it's what I'm swimming in every day. But one of the most fascinating things about it, particularly coming from like the business tax world, is the extent to which wealth is just like sort of materializing out of nowhere. Like we have clients that are like, you know, like token tax clients, we have clients that are making no money that have never made, you know, more than let's say $20,000 a year in their lives. And now they suddenly have, you know, seven digit net worth, seven, eight, sometimes even nine digit net worth out of nowhere. And they are just deer in the headlights about it. So, you know, like coming from the corporate world, you know, where most of my clients were partnership clients and, and hedge funds and, and um, you know, real estate funds and stuff like that, where the objectives were, you know, there was incredible sophistication. There was a ton of knowledge as to how to do things in the most tax efficient way possible. And objectives really were to, I don't want to say get around tax, there's certainly no tax avoidance happening, but it was to minimize liability, you know, incredibly complicated structures all around minimizing liability and remaining compliant, but but paying as little in tax as possible, coming to this world where you have people that are just absolutely terrified of the tax man has been eye-opening because most, you know, I had this experience thinking that everyone just wanted to avoid taxes at all costs. And I think more often than not, what I see at token tax is that people want to play by the rules. They're just so intimidated by the complexity. And so they just have no idea how. And so, you know, token taxes offering there is 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 twofold it's it's a little bit of you know know-how and it's a, it's a lot of comfort it's like you come to us and we we just help you navigate this insane complexity here yeah right that Am- it's, ambiguity it's, um, as well right like oh that. absolutely yeah i mean yeah there, there's a especially where we are now there's a ton of ambiguity and so even if you're a diligent law-abiding citizen you could still go you can still very easily go wrong Right, you can still do the wrong thing, even if your even if your intentions are the best. The way it's still playing out is a lot of it's you know the regulations or rules are still subject to or subject to opinion. 
in worst case, and in, in most of what we do, there are no regulations or rules. There's an answer to one commonly, frequently asked, there's an FAQ. That's basically what it is. It's like a, an FAQ section on a website. It's a single page. And you know the best you can do is sort of infer from that what some similar fact patterns, treatments might be. It's a real tax. It's a real complicated tax puzzle in that sense, because there's so many different new types of activities popping up that you have to like look at. You know, the other day uh, we were looking at something this is going to sound a little wacky to any listeners that aren't into crypto, but people are making millions and millions of dollars playing a game called Axie Infinity, which is like little Pokemon type characters that you breed and battle with one another. And we were just sort of bouncing around this discussion as to what the appropriate tax treatment is of something like that, of like a video game. And it's like, you know, one of the things that we looked at is like, well, let's let's go look up the rules around farming, like actual farm animals, like, hey, I got a cow, hey, you know, I got a bunch of cows, I got a bunch of sheep, like, what are the, like, let's say I'm breeding these things together, like, what's the tax basis you, of you that? You don't get your ag credit, though, for, for, your, water, <laughs> for your water rights. That was, that was a world that, in, you know, in the world of corporate or partnership or hedge fund, alternative investment tax, like the Schedule F, which is the um, farm attachment in taxes, was a joke. It was a joke among myself and my peers. It was like, that's a thing that we are never going to need. And now all of a sudden, it's got it's got relevance, right? It's like, uh, this might actually apply. These rules might be the closest thing we have to being able to answer these questions. So that's been a real trip. Clarkson's Farm on Amazon is a great watch. If you've ever watched uh, Top, Ge- Top Gear, uh, he's actually a lot, a lot more tolerable by himself. You will learn all you need to know about farming on uh, Clarkson's Farm. Highly recommended after you've finished uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, course. yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> An Apple TV Plus uh, reference. Surprising. Yep, put it on the list. Put it on the list. There you go. It's it's. Um, we can probably get a Netflix one in there too. Yeah. Or a Hulu one. Yeah, yeah. Are they sponsors of the podcast? Or I think if we get to four listeners, we, we might be able to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed on your website, you know, your, your experience in other countries as well. El Salvador recently um, started accepting Bitcoin as a, a warranted currency or a, a currency that is applicable to its citizens. What countries, uh, how's that going? And what countries have shown more maturity or, or a capacity to sort of get ahead and take the currency and, and see the future for its citizens in, in its in its usage and in, in its malleability, I guess, or in its usefulness for the for the country's citizens? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier, in the US, we have a very stable dollar fiat currency, like people have rarely thought about, oh, will the dollar lose its value. Whereas, you know, at the Bitcoin conference, they had somebody that's been working down in El Salvador, he's talking about the, that was actually where it was unveiled that it's going to be accepted as, as ordinary currency. And side note, you know, in the US, it's like, all right, all the IRS said was, this is not a currency with de minimis exclusion of under $200 for capital gains. It's property. So every single transaction has to be reported. That's all they said for like 10 years back in 2014. So, but that now if other countries start accepting it as a currency, it's going to be really interesting. But yeah, we, we operate all over the world. We have, you know, people that invested in crypto all over the place trying to figure out capital gains and losses. And some countries have a way more common sense approach to not only crypto, but also just taxation in general. I'd say, I call out the UK as one, you know, they have a rule that under about $15,000 capital gains per year, you don't have to file your tax return. And the only people in the UK who file a return are self-employed people who make over a certain amount of money. If you're just a W-2, as they call it, you know, their equivalent, 
the company files the tax return for you, you just get a check in the mail. So their tax prep business is like literally 120th per capita of the US. I think the US's tax prep business is like larger than the rest of the world combined or something. So that's one thing to know. There's there's probably firms that are larger than most countries. (laughs) It's absolutely (laughs) banana. And I had no idea, even as a, you know, with a background in accounting finance, until I started doing this in crypto, we started researching the rules all over the world. But we have a lot of clients in Canada, UK, Sweden. I mean, uh, Australia, Sweden, a lot of the Commonwealth, former countries, South Africa. Some countries are still a part of the Commonwealth. It's all right. It hasn't, it hasn't dis- dissolved completely. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Still uh, yeah, alive yeah, and well. Yeah. In the, no, but uh, the, Spelling our S's with uh, Z's with S's uh, to, for the next 20 years at least. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, some countries that have really been progressive about this are the ones you'd imagine that need it. Like Cuba, Zimbabwe, Argentina, you know, you know, somebody told an anecdote. I'm 35 years old. He came on stage down in Miami. I'm 35 years old. My family has made and lost three fortunes in my lifetime, literally all because politicians inflated the value of what they created away just through monetary policy. And it was a really powerful anecdote about like, hey, there really is a need for a stable currency in a lot of places in the world. Maybe we don't really see it in the US. So I would say the US is certainly lagging, though there are a lot of politicians who are, who are realizing, hey, we're driving so much innovation and entrepreneurship out of the country. You know, FTX team is all based in Hong Kong because they're afraid of regulations. You know, same with Binance, same with a ton of country, a ton of companies that have moved away. And especially they're leaving New York. You know, one senator to give a shout out to, Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming. She's, you know, proposing a lot of common sense ideas about, you know, sensible taxation and regulation of crypto so that we don't drive the innovation out and kill the golden goose. But I've never seen, you know, the the number of people leaving the country has always been low in the US, but I think it's definitely growing exponentially. And a big part of it in the crypto space that I've seen is just people are afraid of the regulation. Like Arthur said, they're trying to do everything right. And they're still not clear that they aren't making missteps. So they're like, you know what, it's just not worth the stress. And we're losing people we don't want to lose, you know. There's some memes uh, around senators describing crypto as pretty, pretty funny. We'll uh, put the links in the podcast notes, there you go, reader. I'm learning slowly. The but just on that, I mean, you know, obviously the pandemic has accelerated the distribution of people and wealth throughout the world. If you don't need to live in, you know, expensive cities that you are getting a bit sick of the taxes and the traffic, uh, there's no reason to do so, right? Like, and that's happening all over the world. That trend is not going away. Well, this is an interesting question. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, making money in games and how that might be taxed and things like that. There is perhaps part of the appeal, do you think part of the appeal of this is the generational shift that is occurring today, and it, and it might not just be crypto, it's things like Insta fame and, all. you know, we're watching the Met Gala last night and I think, you know, well, I wasn't, my wife does, but, you know, they, they've got... Uh, you know, uh, people that that have never made money from film or anything—it's it's merely fame through or riches and fame through through various means that apart from hard work, some of them. Crypto is 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 another method of potentially expand democratizing wealth, but expanding wealth. The other days gone of of building a company for twenty years and cashing out and and buying a golf course membership in Miami or Florida. Have they gone? Have we have we have we seen, you know, the transition yet? Will that transition occur? Is it the death of of hard work? 
Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think, I just think the, the old system of like, Hey, you can get a job. And if you just do the right things, if you show up every day, if you work hard, it'll all be okay. That system, I think is being proven to not, not be valid anymore, especially for huge swaths of the population that are just unserved by, you know, they don't have access to those opportunities and they're shrinking and, you know, the, the hollowing out of social welfare system, you know, to continue on a, a theme from earlier in the conversation, when I was visiting colleges, you know, back in Y2K area, like 2001, 2002, what really struck me about USC and something that resonated so much with me was they said, look, we are going to train you to be smart, problem solving individuals. We're not going to teach you how to get on a career path because in your life, you're going to live to be a hundred, one twenty, and you're going to have so many years of working time. And you're going to be switching career to career from, you know, totally different industries. You might go back to school at 50. We want to train you to just be prepared for whatever life is going to throw at you. And that stuck with me for now 20 years of just like, that was so accurate and so prescient. And the world is just changing so much. So I think, you know, young people are just, and you know, the technology is accelerating the transition to that where it's created opportunity that never existed before. I mean, when we were kids, how many people would have loved to just like make $20,000 a month from sitting at home talking into a little box, you know, or whatever, like what, but are those people not working hard? I mean, you know, we'll see, there's going to be so many extern or so many unexpected consequences of this life of people being on, you know, just going online, able to make money. Like I read all those articles, like teenagers don't have sex anymore. They don't interact in person, teen girl depression and suicide rates have tripled the the social dilemma stuff. But at the same time, it's unlocking massive opportunity as well. So we'll see. I mean, I am shocked how much money is being made by young people and what's going to happen. You know, especially Arthur and I have a lot of calls with clients, haven't been working for 15 months, 18 months, they whatever, they left their job or they just like took the pandemic off. And a lot of them just talk about, oh, my brain's deteriorating. I feel like my brain doesn't work anymore. You know, there are like, there are big consequences to, to not having a stimulating work. The social fabric. Yeah, yeah. The, the things that make us a people as people, right? Our purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Or that we've always used to define ourselves as people. Yeah, exactly. Historically, your job, interacting with people, you know, people who are in a, call it like a post need to work life. Oh, I made $2 million in NFTs this year. I basically hit my retirement number. I'm 27. You know, what should I do? And these people are like, I think they're realizing that there's a reason that lottery winners on average are less happy five years after winning the lottery, which is pretty crazy to think about. Like, why would that be possible? Whereas like on the baseline level of happiness, people who have lost limbs, lost arms, lost legs, go back to their baseline level of happiness within two years. Like so much of this is in our head. And like you said, it's the social fabric of what we need as humans. And this enormous wealth creation for young people is really flipping that on our head. It's like all these people are like uh, child stars. And we've seen how of our generation, we saw how that turned out. Yeah, well, uh, Succession, there you go. See, look at this. Succession season three is coming out. And uh, perhaps, an old, old, perhaps not quite child star, but Alan Ruck, one of the, the most famous actors Rita, this movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was out before you were born probably. And so if you haven't seen that, you absolutely have to watch that. And then Succession Season 3, I don't know why we're doing this. It's not as though Hulu's going to, Amazon's going to give us any money. All right, so 
What about this? You know, you've talked about Zach. You've talked about democratization, and then and then in the same breath, we talk about young people becoming rich and everything through games or through NFTs or you know they they bought one Bitcoin because they sold a pizza you know in 2015 or 26 whenever that you know whenever the, the 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 very very cheap days sort of concluded. But what about the education of crypto and the true democratization of of crypto through generational wealth? not just through geographical wealth and, you know, the education of the older generation. I mean, I'd even perhaps put myself, you know, I'm not not 23 anymore. <laughs> so how do you think that these generate, you know, like there's there's perhaps a layer this in as well, perhaps there's even a lot of anger, particularly in Australia I see and probably in the US as well around, you know, baby boomers storing all the wealth you know, property prices in America and Australia have just, you know, dramatically increased over the last generation. How do you think that children can interact with their parents and their parents with their grandparents around what is essentially, you know, a, a whole new uh, concept of, of economics and finance? I will throw something out there before I think Zach probably has a many more robust thoughts, but I have personally been surprised at the age distribution of our client base. It's certainly not, I was, I would totally, I would have expected exclusively, you know, under 30, if that's maybe that's even an exaggeration under 25, but I have seen and, and personally interacted with a number of people that are, you know, quite a bit older and still somehow, you know, like, I, I think like in some ways, honestly, like struggling with like basic technology, but very actively participating in the crypto markets and, and understanding those areas very, very well. I think in at least some part, because what we're seeing, particularly in the world of DeFi or decentralized finance, is like the technological application of a lot of, you know, like the concepts are not, and Zach, maybe you'll call me out on this, but the concepts are not too dissimilar from the concepts of traditional finance. They're applied in completely different ways. But if you know how the financial markets work and stuff, what you're seeing in a lot of crypto is actually, it's not too dissimilar. It's just a tech version of that. That's, you know, a lot of it is sort of gamified, but I got to imagine that that's playing at least some part of a role in the fact that we definitely see some folks in the older generations jumping in and, and playing with the best of them. Yeah. And I think therein lies the rub, like core issue of a lot of these situations is that personal finance skills are not widely known in the US, I mean, Stuart, maybe you can weigh in on Australia. We don't teach people about compounding interest and like the impact of credit cards. And, you know, we could talk about this for a whole nother hour. But, you know, I, Arthur and I often joust about, you know, who benefits from a country where 100 million people live paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, we don't teach people about maxing out retirement accounts. So all these things are really infused in the token tax product. Like no matter what plan you sign up for, you get a tax loss harvesting package. We teach you these things that only people who have Merrill Lynch accountants or private wealth managers or whatever, or hedge fund managers actually do those type of things or maxing out retirement. And I think that's the biggest thing that anyone can do regardless of age, et cetera. When you look at like people being upset at baby boomers, and it's not just all baby boomers, it's the ones who are consolidating the wealth, the ones who have an understanding of the fact that, hey, assets and wealth generate additional wealth. You know, we we talked earlier, like the US and the US dollar has a very stable historical track record, but we've never printed $8 trillion in a year like we did over the past year. You know, you talk about like 
home prices in Australia and UK and the US have shot up. Well, that's a big reason why. And crypto prices have 20x. And when I talked about Bitcoin as digital gold, to me, it's just Bitcoin is has all the positive qualities of gold and the problem as well, which is it gets no yield. It's literally just an inflation hedge against money at, at its bare roots. Like it's it shouldn't be worth the core. The value of gold is vastly higher than the core metal usage. There's a scarcity aspect in Bitcoin that it, that is that makes it unique, right? And that make, made it special in the first place. Yeah, that's even better than gold. There's only you know 21 million of them, and we just printed eight trillion dollar. You know, and every country all over the world is also printing money. And I've never felt it so acutely, like a fear that hey, the U.S. dollar could easily. I mean, not only is it's clearly losing value against other assets, and you know. Wealth creates wealth and we don't have any, you know, there's a million things we could talk about too, like a wealth tax or whatever, or uh, higher tax rates or, or whatever, which we don't need to get into now. I'm sure it will be controversial, but just a little more common sense, I think would make a lot of sense versus like, you know, technicalities and, and things like that. That's, but That's the problem with common sense though, isn't it? It's just, it's, it's not that common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and like Arthur said, so much of our job, it's fascinating puzzles. It's just like, we have to use common sense here because there are no rules. Like that is, you know, does that have economic substance? You know, but in that vein, let's be consistent. Let's be conservative. Let's use all those IRS maxims. But there is no clear guidance. So in the absence of that, we, we're constantly circling back to like common sense and, you know, just trying to make a good faith effort. But yeah, I mean, the massive wealth creation and printing money, I think it's just going to ex- exacerbate problems of wealth inequality that are causing these huge schisms between baby boomers and the current generation, you know, or literally the haves and the have-nots, but largely most of the haves are baby boomers. Well, right, well, we're, we're coming up on our hours, Zach and Arthur. We could do this for, for hours and hours, and I, I would love to, to do it again. I'm going to put you on the spot, though. Give us a, a coin or a token or a, an object that's going to 20x over the next two years. Is it okay if it twenty x's and then and then plummets, goes to zero? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Def, that's almost a requirement. I mean, my, one of my favorites of the, I mean, Bitcoin very well could, but I mean, Luna, Luna seems to be Lunaterra ecosystem seems to be a really popular investment ecosystem among you know, call it our savviest consumers. Along those lines, I might throw to the chagrin of Zach's other co-founder. I might say Solana is in there. Yeah. And, you know, it should be noted, the, all of these have already 20x over the last year, but, you know, they very likely could again, you know, outside the realm of crypto, I just feel like it's unfortunate how the world and everything, you know, to say the least, but Moderna and BioNTech, some of these companies are literally tech companies that are solving problems. The first application of that technology was to create a vaccine really fast, but I don't know if that's controversial, but that's sort of like, you know, the stock to me that makes the most sense out of all the stocks out there. We talked about the advantages and uh, not so much of VCs. One of, one of the smartest guys in VC who, you know, I read a lot of his stuff. Uh, Mark Suster did a, a, a great article recently. He's, uh, his newsletter is called Both, at Both Sides of the Table, based in LA. And uh, he wrote an article about what's, what's going to be the common investment themes in 2030. And he talked about, you know, protection in terms of defense and against the elements because of climate change. He talked about crypto and the application of those technologies, just as you're talking about. Uh, he talked about biology and, and where technology meets biology and, and the protection of the human species. 
And, you know, the themes that are running through there are, are fascinating and interesting and, you know, what, are, what you guys are doing at Token Tax is on the edge of all of that. So, I, you know, congratulations, Zach, on founding the company, Arthur, for seeing the light and, uh, and joining such a great company and, um, you know, all your successes to date. And, uh, you know, thank you for, for partnering with Carbon and we look forward to helping you guys as you progress and, and get bigger and bigger. And if there's anything that we can ever do, please, you know, we're, we're here to help and uh, uh, look forward. Let's do this again. Like, yeah, thank you so much for a fascinating interview and, and great questions. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. And if you're listeners, you mentioned four listeners, but, you know, if any of them have questions. Well, we might be up to five by the time this comes out. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we can get, get Carbon going viral. But no, I mean... If they have any questions or need anything else, always please just don't hesitate to ask. We're happy to weigh in on any of these topics because I know there are uh, infinite, complicated gray areas around crypto taxation so far that we've found. That's wonderful. Zach, Arthur, thank you so much for coming on the Accounting Leaders podcast. Of course. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you on the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.